Good morning. Good to see you. As Tessa mentioned, uh, I am Jamie Moore. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here, and I'm so glad that you're here worshiping with us. Um, We are continuing in our series on identity, and before I jump into this, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. Um, if If you know our family, you know that we have a giant golden retriever, and his name is Bear. Until I met Paul and Julie Raz's golden retriever, I thought he was the biggest golden retriever I'd ever seen in my life. But Paul and Julie Raz have a golden retriever named, and this is his name, Peyton Manning the dog. That is the name of their golden retriever, Peyton Manning the dog. And uh, Peyton and Bear, they look like brothers. They are literally the two biggest golden retrievers I have ever seen. There's something interesting about retrievers in general and Bear specifically. They're very, how shall I say? They're very sensitive to what the owner thinks about them. And Bear, in specifically, we found him at a Golden Retriever rescue shelter in, uh, in Oklahoma. And we um, rescued him. We, we brought him to our house. When we met him, uh, we talked to the rescue folks, and they said they found him on the streets of North Little Rock, Arkansas scavenging for food. And he was so anxious that he had worn a hot spot right behind his ear. It was literally an open wound. And the the rescue folks had been putting ointment on there, trying to help him to heal up. And he was just anxious, 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 anxious. We brought him home. And um, we found that any time that we would send him outside, like to go potty, we go outside, he's anxious, thinking that he's going to be left outside because of the experience in his life of wandering through Little Rock, Arkansas by himself. Whenever we go to feed him, now this is true of a lot of dogs, but when we go to feed him, there is a ravenous approach and attack of the food as if he's not going to get fed later that day. There is an anxiety to bear because of his experience. You see, in Bear's mind, He thinks he's an orphan, even though he has a family who loves him, will take care of him, will provide for him, will feed him, and will never leave him. In Bear's mind, he's an orphan. He has been adopted into a family that loves him, but in his mind, he is an orphan. Are you all hearing me this morning? Listen, I think there are a lot of bears in the church. I think there are a lot of bears. People that have been adopted into the family of God, but you still think that you're an orphan. And the key, the key in that is that orphans are always thinking about themselves. If I don't behave well, then the father will reject me. But sons and daughters are obsessed with the father in Christ. Orphans are thinking about themselves. Sons and daughters are thinking about the father. Does that make sense this morning? Orphans are completely surrounded with me. What I'm doing, how I'm experiencing, what if I do this, will they reject me? Orphans are me-centered. Sons and daughters are father-centered in Christ. That's the big idea of this message this morning. The identity today is that we are adopted into a triune family, that that is our identity in Christ. We are adopted into a triune family. So y'all ready to go after it? Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read, we're going to go after this text, we're going to go after the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verses 1. To 17. I'm going to try not to get too riled up just reading the text. Romans 8, 1 to 17, Paul writes this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can we celebrate that? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that, all of this, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of this flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile, hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It's fantastic. Resurrection. It's fantastic. So then, brothers and sisters, can you hear family language? Just do you notice it? So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, <laughs> this is ridiculous, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Did you hear all the bombs that went off in that passage? Okay. It's funny, after last week, I thought to myself, you know what? I thought about just preaching the exact same sermon last week and calling it, no, really, you're free from condemnation. <laughs> you know why? You know why? Because we know what the Bible says, but we don't know what the Bible says. Sometimes you just need to hear it again that you're free from condemnation. The spin today is, of course, orphans don't think they're free from condemnation. Orphans don't believe that they're free from condemnation. Adopted sons and daughters are like, I am free because the, the son has set me free. Therefore, I am free indeed. So I see four benefits to this new covenant in the first 13 verses. I'm going to move through this fairly quickly. Then we're going to look at adoption. Four benefits of the new covenant. Number one, you are free from condemnation. It's found in verses one to four. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We talked about this last week. Because of the way God is and because of the way we are, original sin, we rebelled against God. There is separation between God and us, and there is punishment due to every single person on the planet because of our rebellion against God. We do not love him. We do not care about him in our naturally speaking. We are naturally rebelling against God, every single one of us. And it is such a situation that the law is holy and righteous, and there is punishment due for all lawbreakers. And guess what? Every one of us are lawbreakers. We know it inside of our hearts, that there's something broken and jacked up in our minds and in our hearts. So that punishment and condemnation actually is for all people. For all people, because of sin. 
But the good news of the gospel is, in fact, this. God himself has stepped into humanity, has come and has actually fulfilled the law. This is what the Bible says. Fulfilled the law perfectly. He obeyed the law perfectly. And then he was nailed to a cross to bear the punishment and guilt that all of humanity deserves. So Jesus on the cross, nailed to the cross, actually experiences the full wrath and punishment and condemnation that all of us deserve. Jesus experienced it. He took it. So when we come to faith in Christ, that his death on the cross is actually my death on the cross, and his righteous fulfillment of the law is actually my righteous fulfillment of the law, I come by grace through faith. You're the boss of my life, Jesus. What happens in that moment is there is no condemnation left for me because it has been exhausted in Jesus. So I walk through life. Listen, if you are in Christ, you walk through life, and there is no punishment coming for you because Jesus took it all for you. So we obey God not to avoid punishment, and that's so important that we understand that. We obey God because that's what people who are part of this family do. I don't obey him to avoid punishment. I obey him because I have been infinitely loved by this infinite God. Of course I would do what you're asking me to do. And by the way, he puts his spirit inside of us so we desire to obey him. <laughs> so I'm obeying because he put his, he fulfilled the law for me. Then he put his spirit inside of me so I could actually obey the law now. It's, it's, it's spectacular. What kind of God is this? Only the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus is that God. I've set a law. You must obey this law. Everyone has disobeyed the law, so I will come and obey the law for you. And if you will come to me, I will give you access to the family. I will also put my spirit inside of you, give you a desire to actually obey the law, and you get to be free from condemnation because I have taken it for you. <laughs> it's called the gospel. It's, that's why it's called good news. A lot of people are like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, yeah, just obey a bunch. That's not good news, actually. Jesus has obeyed for you. Now you get to live who you are in him. You are free from condemnation. Verses 5 to 8, you have peace with God. Verses 5 to 8, you have peace with God. Those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life. Somebody say life. Life. And peace. Somebody say peace. peace. Wait, to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Let me just say it again. I'm not sure you heard it. To set the mind, your mind, on the Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, God the Spirit, to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So if you are anxious and you need peace, apparently you need to set your mind on the Spirit of God. Then you have life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The reason it's peace <laughs> is because there's nothing between me and God. Because <laughs> when God sees me in Christ, he sees his boy. He sees Jesus. So there's, there's nothing there. It's the father, and, it's, and he, this is Jamie. He's like, that's my son. <laughs> so it's peace. I'm his son, not because I did anything, but because I trusted Jesus in my life. So I have peace. I, I, I don't have to do anything else. I put my trust in Jesus. Now I'm his son. Peace with God. Third benefit, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, verses 9 to 11. You have the God himself, the Spirit, dwelling inside of you by grace through faith in Christ. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. God actually comes and makes his residence with us. 
actually comes and dwells within us. We actually get God. Like, you get God. Sometimes we have you thought about that? You get God. Like when you open your eyes, He dwells within. By the way, while you're asleep, He dwells within. You in your meal? He dwells within. He dwells within us. God dwells within us. And then finally, fourth benefit, you get a sin-assassinating partnership. I love this. You get a sin-assassinating partnership with God. Verse 12 and 13, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen, for me in Christ and for you in Christ, he is the Spirit of life. But guess what? For my sin behavior, he's the Spirit of death. Are y'all hearing me this morning? When I'm in Christ, to me, he is the spirit of life. To my sin behavior, he is a spirit of death. Like, during the day, the spirit of God dwelling within is literally targeting sin in my life. And I'm going to kill that thing today. That's what the Holy Spirit is, is wanting to do in your life. Did you know that? Did you know that temptation actually actually is an opportunity to partner with the creator of the universe to kill something in your life that is enslaving you. Like when temptation comes, rather than being like, ah, no, how will I survive? Actually, it's like pull the sniper rifle out because I'm killing that thing by the power of the Spirit. That's what the Bible says. I know it sounds dramatic. That's what the Bible says. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen, sin behavior. If I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. I have the righteousness of God now. But I have sinful thoughts, behaviors, and actions, habits that I walk into. When temptation comes, now I actually have the capacity to resist that temptation. And the Spirit of God is actually like, I'm going to kill that thing. You wanna, you want, let's work together. We're going to kill that thing right now. You get to partner with God to kill sin in your life. That's a sermon by itself. Four benefits of the new covenant. Now, the fifth benefit, which really is like an umbrella. All those four benefits are wrapped up in this one, which is, in fact, we are adopted into the triune family. Verses 14 to 17. Let's look at the text. So I want to ask this question. What's so great about being adopted into the triune family? Have you ever thought about that question? We hear about, I'm adopted, I'm a son or a daughter. But what's so great about it? That's what I want to explore in this text. Why would it be good news that we are adopted into the triune family? By the way, if you notice, I keep saying triune family family. I'm saying it very specifically. We are adopted into a pre-eternal family. We are adopted into a family that has always existed. Okay, let's, go, let's do the text. What's so great about it being adopted in the family? Let's look at the text. The first great thing about it is you have guidance and direction all through your life. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. One of the, what's so great about being adopted into this family is actually now you have someone who is leading you and guiding you every step of the way. You see, orphans don't have anybody else to lead them. Did you know that? Orphans actually have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Orphans, ha orphans have to figure out where their next meal is coming. Orphans have to figure out where they're going to stay the night. Right? They don't actually have someone in their life guiding them and directing them. One of, the, one of the great things about being adopted is actually the Spirit of God actually comes in. Now I have divine, righteous, God, GPS inside of me leading me in life. I, I, don't, I don't have to just be like, hmm, I'm just going to make something up and just do something. Actually, God gets to lead me. 
Actually, he will lead us. Let me, let me give you a practical. Let me give you a practical. Over the last couple of weeks, <laughs> it's funny, uh, during this transition, it felt like this transition uh, from Dennis to Jamie, I came here in 2019. This has been a couple years. And it's felt kind of long, right? But actually, Dennis has <laughs> he's only been retired like six weeks or something. <laughs> It's funny, isn't it? And I'm just, being, I'm just being fully transparent with you. Some of you know this, but some of you don't. One of the great temptations in ministry is to think that you are the one that will lead a church. Like, oh no, Dennis is gone. I better lead. You know what I'm saying? So what comes with that then is over the last couple of weeks, I've actually experienced moments where I will slip into like a lot of anxiety and like, I don't know, like a feeling of dread. Which of course is not from the Lord. But you know what that is? It's Jamie slipping into an orphan mentality where I got to go do something. I got I got to lead. I got to blaze a trail. I, what, whatever the phrase is, right? But actually, when I go back into, actually, Jesus is the boss of this church. He dwells within me and you guys. And actually, he's a big boy and can handle this church without me. In fact, he handled it before Dennis. He handled it during Dennis. He will handle it after Dennis. He will handle it after Jamie if he, if he tarries. Actually, you know who's leading and building this church? It's not the staff. It's not the elders. It's not Jamie. It's Jesus. Amen. And an orphan leader thinks he or she needs to lead. That's good. Right? Yeah. We've got to get the right strategy. We gotta, let's, let's make sure it rhymes like the values rhyme. You know, just... <laughs> Let's, let's, comp- let's survey all the churches in the city, all the fastest growing churches in the nation. Find out what the common denominator. You know what, the, you know what you need to do? Is you need to find out what Jesus wants to do and do that. So, so this, is what I, this is what I did. I did this last week. Because I started, I started feeling this again. And I was like, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. So this is what I did. I, in my journal... I literally said, Jesus, these are the six things that I am most concerned about at Marymount Church. I will not list them here right now, just so you know. (laughs) Some of y'all are in the room. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. Maybe. It's fine. So ridiculous. So ridiculous. (laughs) I said, Jesus, these are, the, these are the six things I am most concerned about, and I do not have solutions to these, and I do not actually see the solution, but here's the deal. It's not my problem because you're running this church. It's actually your problem because you said you're going to build the church. So here's what I'm doing. I literally, in my journal, I signed over all authority, all responsibility, all need for provision, all need for strategy, all need for game plans, all need for anything. I signed it over to Jesus. Say, hey, you're the boss of this thing. So I'm going to walk around like an adopted son while you build the church. I'm just giving you a practical example. Does that, does that make sense? Orphan thinking says I need to lead myself. A son says, I am led by the creator of the universe. He has a plan. (laughs) You have guidance through life. Second thing that's so great about adoption, it's in the text, verse 15. You get love instead of fear. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
You know, when you read the Bible, um, let me clarify what I'm saying. When you read the Bible, the Bible was originally written not for you. Did you know that? So, so these words actually were not written for Marymount Church in 2022. Now, hear me. They are living, they are active, they are present. The Holy Spirit is moving through them, and they have val- validity and influence and importance for us today. Yes and amen. I agree with that 100%. At the same time, this was written to a specific people at a specific time in Rome, Christians in Rome. And when Christians in Rome read this passage, they hear, they, they hear the words or read, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back fall back into fear. Slavery to fall back into fear. The original hearers, original readers of this text are thinking, as they hear that and read that, they are thinking about the Exodus. That's what they're thinking about. Does that make, does that make sense? We're not thinking about it. We're thinking about, is Joe Burrow going to actually be able to like play, right? And like, will the offensive line block? That, I mean, that's what we're thinking about. But they are thinking about Exodus. That's Exodus language. So, okay, okay. So, okay, how, how do we do this? So, God took his people, they were enslaved. And the Exodus motif is all throughout the Old Covenant and the New Testament, all throughout. It's called the Exodus motif, it's a theme, it's a literary nerdy thing. Anyway, God has his people, and his people are actually enslaved in bondage. And then God comes, he brings a mediator, a leader who actually comes and takes his people and removes them from slavery and sends them into freedom, right? And so that theme, enslavement and then leading out, rescuing, and freedom, promised land. That theme is all throughout Scripture. So when it says here that we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, there is something about enslavement to sin and freedom in relationship with God. Does that make sense? So what what he's saying is, actually, you don't have to be in this fearful, slave-like mentality where you are enslaved in the context. You are enslaved to the law, enslaved to obedience and punishment organization. Does that make sense? So if if I'm looking at the law and thinking, I have to obey this law so that I will have relationship with God, I will constantly be afraid of messing up. So if I see a law... And, and if the scenario is I must obey this law perfectly or God doesn't love me, then I am afraid of messing up. He says, you don't have to slip into that. Actually, you are now free in Christ to look at God and not say, this is a scary God who is demanding perfection, otherwise he doesn't love me. And that's actually slavery into fear. Actually, I get to look at God and say, that's my Father who loves me. And there is nothing that I can do for him to stop loving me. You see, orphans are living afraid of punishment, afraid of breaking the law, because they are so inwardly centered, they are not thinking about the gospel good news, which is law. Jesus has accomplished the law for you in your place. So why would I be afraid of breaking the law as if I could now lose the Father? If I could lose the Father, then Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross is not enough. It needs to be Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross plus my obedience. All of a sudden, the gospel turns into being about me rather than Jesus. That's why I said, if your Christian walk is primarily me-centered, obedience-centered, walking this way centered, you will experience orphanness. But if your Christian walk is father-centered, gospel-centered, Jesus-focused, you will actually walk as a son or a daughter. You get love instead of fear. Now, let me just say something. The Bible says we are to fear God. Isn't that true? Uh-huh. Oh, well, Jamie just said. You know, there are two types of fear. Actually, there's probably more, but in this scenario, for the sake of this message, there are two types of fear. Number one, fear of punishment from God. If I disobey God, I deserve punishment and wrath, so I'm afraid of this God. The other fear is a son or a daughter having reverential 
worship, and awe-filled fear of God. One is worship, like holy, holy, holy. And one is... Do you see the difference? We are to fear God, but not fearing punishment, actually fearing you are so awesome that I bow before you and I tell you that you are holy, holy, holy. There are heavenly beings and angels right now, according to Isaiah 6 and Revelation 5, there are heavenly beings flying around just constantly saying, holy, 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 and he is so holy, he is so, he is so other and set apart that these heavenly beings that are morally pure are literally covering their eyes because he's so awesome. It's one of the great mysteries of God. He is holy, righteous, set apart, and he is worthy of us being on our faces 24-7. And at the same time, he says, you should approach my throne of grace with full confidence. There's a paradox there. Is he so holy I should cover my eyes? Yes. Is he so loving that I should jump up into his lap? Yes. Jamie, that feels a little bit, a little too intimate. I don't know, Jesus had one of his disciples, and the disciple called himself the beloved disciple. So much so that at the Last Supper, this beloved disciple was laying on Jesus. There's a level of intimacy, tenderness, and connection that is found in God that I think most of us, including myself, do not understand. And there is a level of holiness and reverential fear that is due God that many of us do not understand. It is both. Okay, apparently that's another sermon as well. Third thing, so great about adoption. I just hinted at it, intimacy. Intimacy. Look at verse 15 again. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but if you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, the whom there is referring to the spirit. So it's the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit is also called the spirit of adoption. And by whom this spirit we cry. This is, this is a deep, longing, passionate, heartbreaking cry to God. And we call him Abba. Abba. Father. A lot of theologians want a dog the word Abba. Frankly, I've dogged the word Abba in my life. Where we'll say, yeah, it means father and it's a respectful tone. You better get on your face when you say Abba. It's funny, when we were in Israel, I heard little kids running up and down the street, Abba, 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 Abba. It really changed my thinking a little bit. A lot of theologians don't like it when you're like, Abba it would be similar to Dada. A lot of theologians don't like that, but that's because they're crusty. <laughs> they're brothers in Christ. I love them. It's fine. They're also crusty. Abba. I wanted to grow in my understanding of this kind of intimacy because Jesus said to his disciples, pray like this, O holy God of the universe that I could never attain. That's not what he said. He says, our Abba, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's a level of intimacy and tenderness and familial love between a father and a son, a father and a daughter that is attached to that word. So an orphan, you know you're stepping into orphanness when you see God primarily not as a loving father, but as an angry person up there. Does that make sense? When you move into sonship, daughtership, see God as my father, my Abba. One practical tip, I was struggling with this in my heart, and so I, I started choosing to never refer to God the Father as God. 
Theologically, it's fine. In fact, throughout scriptures, when you see God, especially in the New, in the New Testament, when you see God, it's primarily referring to the first member of the Trinity, the Father. Um, so the word God is not a bad word. But I chose to no longer use the word God when referring to the first member of the Trinity. I, would choo- I was choosing to call him either Father or Abba. It's just something that I did because I wanted my behavior to lead my affection. I didn't wait. I, I, I didn't wait to feel intimacy and, 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 and tender love from the Father before I called him Abba. I said, this is what the Bible says. You're, you're supposed to be Abba to me. So I'm choosing to use that term even if I don't feel that kind of intimacy. Does that make sense? So I, I spoke, and then I asked the Spirit of God actually to make that speaking true towards the Father. Just a hint. I told this story before, I think. Um, I, was, I was involved in, in um, youth ministry and, and ministering to youth, and there was one trip where we took a group of students to a, a mission trip thing, and as a part of the, this mission trip, um, as a part of the training time and the orientation, there was a time of worship. And there's a young guy, he was probably my age, and um, he was leading worship. I remember sitting in the back, had all these students, you know, 30, 40, however many there were of them. They're all kind of sitting around me. I'm, I'm sitting here in the back looking at this worship leader. The guy's just leading worship, and it's fine, it's good. And then he finishes a song, and then he begins to pray with such intimate language about God, I literally judged that dude for 15 straight minutes. Because I'm a theology nerd, so I read systematic theology like for fun. And I sat there and I looked at him. I'm like, yeah, he's not using theological language the way he should. Also, come on. It's a little woo-woo with God. Little, little too much, little too intimate. Actually, what was happening is my hesitancy and orphanness was being exposed by that man's love for Jesus. And I began to judge him, thinking that I was some theological blah, while this man actually knew Jesus. You see, and over my life, I've actually, I've been changed so much that now, I get so, I, well, y'all see it. I get riled up. I just read the text and I get riled up. You know why? Because I love doing this. I love doing this because I really love Jesus. And I love telling everybody that Jesus is better than anything you have ever tasted or experienced. He is better. Actually, your heart and your soul was created to be satisfied in Jesus. And the reason you're unhappy is because you are consuming lesser joys and ignoring the one person who will satisfy you forever. And I really, 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 really love him. And I want you to be as obsessed with Jesus as I am. He really is what your soul is longing for. All the affection that you think will be satisfied in that marriage partner. Listen, I love Jesus significantly more than I love my wife, and I love my wife. I love Jesus significantly more than I love Bailey and Caden. I know for some people that's like... Actually, Jesus said we should hate our family compared to devotion to him. That's what Jesus said. I'm being less radical than Jesus. I am significantly more impressed and obsessed with Jesus than any of y'all and Jess and my kids and anybody else in my life. He is the greatest. And I'm telling you, I am telling you, this is not radical. Actually, it's normal Christian life. We've just been lulled into some sort of sleep world where we think it's normal to not be passionately, ravenously hungry for Jesus in our life. The heavenly beings right now can't get enough of the king. 
And we're all like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, this is such a great Netflix show. I wonder what else I should. The heavenly beings who know exactly what he looks like cannot get their eyes. Actually, they can get their eyes off of him because they're covering their eyes. I'm telling you, the Father is drawing this church to be a hungry, obsessively intentional, pursuing church of Jesus and nothing else. There are so many things churches can be known for, and I bless those churches. We will be known for obsessive, intentional hunger and delight in Jesus. Another thing that's so awesome about adoption (laughs) is that we are actually a part of this triune family. And then I'm going to finish with this. The doctrine of the Trinity is my favorite doctrine, bar none. It is my favorite doctrine. I could read books on the Trinity over and over and over. It is my favorite doctrine. The reason it's my favorite doctrine is because there's mystery there, there's glory there, there's intimacy there, all in one doctrine. And it's in the text, and it's all throughout Scripture. All the Trinitarian Scripture passages have this flavor to them. You see the Father, Son, and Spirit at play in this text. You have the Spirit who actually comes into our hearts and, and gives us a level of intimacy and, and, and longing and delight in the Father, such that we say, Abba, Father. And verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, we're heirs of God, and we're fellow heirs with Christ, the second member of the Trinity. And so I want you to see, when we enter into adoption as sons, there is a father, There is the Son who gives us access to the Father, and then there is the Spirit who is dwelling within, giving us access to the Father and the Son. And what's happening here is that the Father, Son, and Spirit are three gods, fully God. Each is fully God. The Father is 100% God. Jesus, the Son, is 100% God. The Holy Spirit is 100% God. Fully God, in and of themselves, worthy of worship, praise, and honor. And yet, we do not worship three gods. We worship one God. (laughs) Does Does that make sense rationally? It does not make sense. That's the mystery. One God, one unified God. We're not polytheists. We worship one God. That one God is three unique, distinct, fully God persons. It's a lot of words, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Father, Son, Spirit. What's interesting about that is the Father, Son, and Spirit have existed in family since before time began. They are pre-eternal. God is pre-eternal. He has always been Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus, Jesus didn't start when he was born in the manger. Jesus has always been. The Spirit didn't start at Acts 2 when he came to the church. No, the Spirit has always been hovering over the deep. The Father, Son, and Spirit. Actually, it's so interesting. The Father and the Son have delight and love, mutual love and delight in one another. They are madly in love, if I can say it this way, with each other. There is is a mutual submission, yieldedness, love, tender, compassionate, fellowship, koinonia, community happening in God. It is, it is greater than any community and any love you've ever experienced. And actually, we get to enter into triune family. We actually enter into something that has been existing before time began, pre-eternal, that is gloriously loving, mutually submissive, yielded, beautiful community. We enter into that thing, and it's called family. You're like, Jamie, that sounds woo-woo. Okay, let me just read a couple passages. Because it does sound woo-woo, but nobody talks about this. Let me be fair. People talk about it. Sorry, I'm getting mad. John 14, I will ask the Father, this is Jesus, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. It's the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. He says this, you know him for he dwells in you and he will be in you. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. (laughs) Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that, listen, I, Jesus, I am in the Father And you are in me, and I'm in you, (laughs) by the Spirit. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, the Father and the Son, will come to him and make our home 
with him. Talking about the Spirit. Or how about Galatians 4? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Or Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. Follow me. When the Spirit of God comes and dwells within you, it's not just about sin assassination. It's also about bringing an understanding and an experience of the love between the Father and the Son. We actually get to know it. Does that make sense what I'm saying? The love between the Father and the Son is in fact the Spirit. (laughs) And then that Spirit actually comes and dwells within. By the way, if that sounds woo-woo, just understand that is, that is default Trinitarian theology. The relationship between the Father and the Son, that love, mutual love, yieldedness community is in fact the Spirit. And the Spirit actually gets put inside of us and we actually come into this relationship. You and I have the ability, opportunity, to experience the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father a pre-eternal love, we get to experience that. (laughs) Jesus in his last prayer in the high priestly prayer said, Father, I've made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me the love with which you have loved me will be in them. That's what Jesus said. The love that you have loved me may be in them and I in them. It's not woo-woo. It's literal doctrinal theology of the Trinity. Can you imagine pre-eternal, perfect, holy, beautiful love and it is given to us? Love between the Father and the Son is given to us. That's what, that's what being adopted into this family is about. There's more, but let's close. How do we practically apply this? Because all of that begs the question, of course, well, Jamie, why ain't I feeling it? Jamie, you and Jesus are saying there's some sort of pre-eternal triune love that gets, dwells within. Why ain't I feeling it? A couple of practical applications. Number one, be very intentional about what you think about when you think about God and Jesus and your sin and righteousness. It's so easy to, do, to obey God or to do something and then to think that I just earned something, like more love. Does that make sense? It's so easy. Like every time I've preached sermons and it went well, I felt more loved by God. And then I preached a sermon that didn't go well, quote unquote, whatever. And then I felt less loved by God? That's straight orphan. It has nothing to do with God. That's just about Jamie. That's Jamie being determined by his feelings rather than truth. That's why Paul says to renew our minds, not be conformed by the pattern of this world, which is based off of feelings and inner expressiveness. Literally, the world says just get your feelings and then express whatever's inside. The Bible says actually we should renew our mind according to the truth. So, my practical application, think very deeply about the gospel. This is why, have you noticed in this series, I'm, it's basically a sermon on the gospel every single Sunday. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. Do you know why that is? Because that's the foundational thing that moves from orphanhood to sons and daughters. It's the foundational thing for your identity, is that you are reminded again and again. Luther said, I preach the gospel to myself every single day. That's why I'm preaching it at least once a week for us. I can't come to your house and preach it to you at your house, you know. But you don't need me. you got the spirit of the living God and you have the word. 
pay a lot of attention to what you think about when you think about God, sin, Jesus, your behavior, and your righteousness. Is it based in your obedience to him, or is it based in faith in Jesus? Second, ask the Spirit to do what the Spirit does. It's in the text. Ask the Spirit who dwells within to do what he does. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Apparently, the responsibility for me to experience adoption and to understand that I am a child of God, apparently, the mechanism by which that happens is the Spirit himself. So this is what I do. I regularly am asking the Spirit, show me what the love between the Father and the Son feels like. Give it to me. I want to actually experience this. And, and if that seems a little bit too emotional, this is what the Scriptures tell us to do. <laughs> Ephesians three sixteen to 19. Paul is praying that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in theological truth. Is that what it says? Being rooted and grounded in love. You may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I would take the next six months or until you actually experience it, I would come after the Holy Spirit. I've done that in my own life. I'll journal, Holy Spirit, I want to, I want to know the love of the Father and the Son. I want to know that love. Jack Deere talked about these sorts of prayers. That we pray that the love between the Father and the Son would be experienced by us. That's what Paul just said to pray for. So I want to encourage you. Think carefully about the gospel. Two, pursue the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, you're supposed to bear witness to me that I'm a child of God. I'm asking that you will show me. And then ask him the next day, and then ask him the next day, and then ask him the next day. And just like any good relationship, even your relationship with your heavenly fathers and mothers, even though there's sin there, there's brokenness there. Relationships deepen, don't they? Guess what? Now, until you see Jesus face to face, you have an opportunity to experience a deepening understanding of the love of God for you and for each other. And the Holy Spirit is the one who actually does that inside. It's not your obedience, it's not your righteousness, it's not your attendance at Marymount Church, it's not your listening to sermons. It is actually the Spirit of God giving revelation to you of the love between the Father and the Son that you just got adopted into.